Hello and welcome to Chaplain's Word of the Day. I'm Chaplain Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as we explore God's Word so that we can be inspired, challenged, and comforted together. Hello, I'm Otis Corbett and today I want to share a word about genuineness as I comment on Mark 11 verses 1 through 4 and verses 20 through 26. This passage reads, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursedst is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. In recent days, I have shared some of my family memories as I've commented on our scripture passages together. And uh, today is no exception. But this memory, however, is less embarrassing than the others I've shared and certainly sweeter. And this is because it involves figs. Yeah, that's right. Figs. When I was a child, my father had access to a very productive fig tree on property which was owned by his sister, my aunt. And when the figs came into season, we could fill several five-gallon buckets to the, to the brim, and still there would be unripe figs left on the tree for the next trip. That was really one fertile fig tree. It was always loaded with figs at harvest time. So I learned to enjoy eating fresh figs off the tree, and well, at least I did after I learned to ignore that furry outer skin. It, it felt a little creepy at first, but uh, the luscious meat on the inside was certainly worth the strange to a young child sensation of that furry skin. Yes, the fi fresh figs were wonderful, uh, but that was not the end of the treat, not by any measure. You see, my mom and dad had learned in the past how to make fig preserves, and that was where the most of the bountiful harvest of figs ended up. Um, although it was hot and steamy work to boil those figs with copious amounts of sugar in a big tureen pot on the stove, I mean a big huge soup pot, the end result was wonderful. 
Our family didn't have to buy jam or jelly for months after we had finished harvesting the figs from that one tree. And even today, I can't think of a more appetizing breakfast meal than hot biscuits fresh from the oven topped with homemade preserved figs. I'm, I'm gaining weight just savoring the memory of such homemade deliciousness. Now, in our passage today, we'll see that Jesus also had an appreciation for figs. But the fig tree that features in these verses in Mark chapter 11 was not nearly as productive as my aunt's fig tree. Jesus, being the master teacher, often used object lessons, and in this case, he made no exception. He used the barren fig tree as a teaching point about genuineness. So he begins really by teaching about hypocrisy. Jesus made an example of the fig tree as a means of teaching the disciples the difference between hypocrisy and genuineness. This particular fig tree is a great example of hypocrisy because it, it demonstrates quite well the characteristics of hypocrisy in a very practical object kind of lesson way. First, hypocrisy is attractive, and this fig tree was full of green foliage. It was attractive to the eye, and it would be easy to assume such a vibrant tree would have to be full of fruit, but it wasn't. Likewise, hypocrites look great, but they have no substance to back up their beautiful appearance. As the old saying goes, you can't uh, tell a book by its cover, which is what my cousin once discovered when he was a young man. He was at a party and he saw someone sitting al alone who had a long flowing ponytail. And when he got up the nerve to go over to introduce himself, he discovered what he thought was a young lady was actually a guy. Hypocrisy presents itself as beautiful, but the reality is something very different. Another characteristic of hypocrisy is that it is barren. Hip hypocrites look great, but they bear no good fruit, and they only bring disappointment to the lives of others. Hypocrisy is like a restaurant that displays beautiful photos of their dishes in the menus, but the actual dishes are tasteless. I remember one particular event in one particular place where I ate when I was taking my senior adults of my church out on a day trip. The food looked great. I mean, it did, but it was very bland. Very bland. One of our senior ladies, who was a dynamite cook, I mean, she was, oh my goodness, she was a, a great cook. She later commented, I don't think that, think that these folks own a salt shaker or know what bacon is made for. <laughs> like Samuel Coleridge's ancient mariner, who saw water, water everywhere, nor a drop to drink, hypocrisy leaves us thirsting for more. One final characteristic of hypocrisy demonstrated by this fig tree is that hypocrisy is cheating. One thing is promised and another thing is given. Like many modern bait-and-switch scams, Jesus was promised fruit, but he was cheated. He was promised figs, but he got none. Hypocrisy, in essence, is a lie. It says something that it does not mean, and it promises something that it never intends to deliver. So we've considered hypocrisy. Let's now consider genuineness. You see, Jesus as the master teacher didn't just rely on an object lesson or a negative example to drive home a point. 
He invariably would follow up these techniques with a more didactic explanation, or at least he did with his disciples. At times when dealing with the broader public, he would let a parable or an object lesson stand on its own, but his practice was to give in-depth instruction or explanation to his closest followers. So in our passage for today, Jesus taught that we should say what we believe and that we should believe what we say. It makes no sense to profess our belief in God, but then to act like the devil. It makes no sense to pray to God and then decide we know better than he does or that our wisdom is greater than the one, uh, the, or the wisdom that is found in the scriptures. It makes no sense to have access to the almighty God of the universe and then deny his power. Paul was echoing Jesus when he wrote in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that some people had a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. In contrast to this, he instructed that Timothy should live out the faith taught to him by his mother and his grandmother, saying to him, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's also clear from this passage that Jesus extended the value of genuineness not only to our relationship to God, but also to our relationship with others. We must not pretend to be righteous and holy, when we are embroiled in a conflict with a member of a family or one of our friends or just someone in the general public. This is one of the many places in Scripture that teach that our relationships with others can affect our relationship with God. After all, it was Jesus who taught that the second commandment was, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Our relationships should be characterized by openness and honesty, the willingness to share our lives with one another, the, the, the agape love as discussed in 1 Corinthians 13, and by true forgiveness. All these things, by the way, are modeled in how God relates to us. It is true that genuineness can be at times overwhelming. When God revealed himself to Moses on the mountain, Moses' face glowed so brightly that he had to wear a veil so as to not frighten the children of Israel. This fact, as much as God's absolute righteousness, may be why it was said that no one could ever see God and live. Of course, that is until Jesus was born. And this is what he said about himself. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in, unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Genuineness does not mean harshness, but it does mean being approachable, open, and speaking the truth in love. So now, let's consider the consequences of hypocrisy and the consequences of genuineness. Some people might view the actions of Jesus here as being harsh. The fig tree was killed and it was lost to his owner, as well as to those who might pass by it in the future. 
But to take this position is to ignore certain facts. We must remember that, in fact, Jesus was the owner of the tree. Jesus, as the Creator, owns His creation, and it is His uh, possession to do with it what He will. Not only does the Lord own the cattle on a thousand hills, but He owns also the fig trees on those hills as well. Now, we don't know the, who the human owner of the tree was, but we do know that the ultimate owner was Almighty God, the three-in-one. Not only was God the owner, He was also the gardener. In John 15, verses 1-6, through 6, Jesus explained what God was doing as He taught them during the Last Supper. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I am in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather to them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, this is really nothing new, because we can read in Ecclesiastes that there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, as well as a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. And finally, we need to understand how vile hypocrisy is in the sight of God and how important genuineness is. Solomon, in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, makes this clear to us. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So it's for this reason that Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Plus, he, he and John the Baptist both called uh, the religious hypocrites in Judah a generation of vipers. So to go back to Proverbs, Proverbs 11 is probably one of the best and most condensed descriptions of God's thoughts on this matter of hypocrisy and genuineness. Here are some of the selected verses that uh, apply to this subject. Verse 1, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but just weight is His delight. Verse 2, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Verse 9, An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Verses 12 and 13, He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. A talebearer revealeth secrets, 
but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Verse 18, The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Verse 27, He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief it shall come unto him. Verse 29, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be a servant to the wise of heart. So in conclusion, some years ago I was asked to consult with a church about their situation with their facilities. After we toured the building, I sat down with the pastor and some of their lay leadership and discussed with them their plans for uh, improving their facilities and, and building some new buildings. During our tour, though, I had noticed several parts of the existing facilities, the existing buildings, which needed to be repaired or otherwise stabilized before they launched into a building program. And so I reviewed with them the substantial challenges that they faced, while also affirming their desire to expand their facilities to enable them to do more and better ministry. We had a long and frank conversation, and when I took my leave, the pastor shook my hand, thanked me for my time with them, and then he said this. He said, and I want to thank you particularly for being real with us tonight. I was somewhat nonplussed and confused by what the pastor meant by that, but I took the advice of my preaching professor, who years ago told us, when you are greeting people at the door of the church after a sermon, take whatever they say to you as a compliment. How, however awkward it might be, take it as a compliment. So I did. Still, I mulled over what the pastor meant all the way home that night. I just was confused. The next day... I related my experience to some colleagues, and then I asked them what they thought the pastor meant. And one of my friends said with a smile, Oh, that's easy. It just means that he appreciated your honesty and candor and transparency and that you weren't trying to manipulate them. He saw that you were being genuine with them, and so take that as a compliment, because it was. Now, I... I never conceived in my mind that someone called in to help a church would try to deceive or manipulate them. So I shared this story more as an admission of my naivete than anything else. But I think it does illustrate the point. If genuine is important to a frail, limited human being, just imagine how important it must be to our perfect, righteous, and loving God. Before I go, let me share my new book with you. Seminary taught me to be a pastor, but the Army taught me to be a leader. I would like to share how God melded those two skill sets in my new book, Decently and in Order. It's available now on Amazon in paperback and on Kindle. If you want to know more about effectively leading teams and events, check out Decently and in Order on Amazon.com. I believe you will find it eye-opening and helpful. That's Decently and in Order by Otis Corbett. Thanks for taking a look. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with another portion of God's Word that we can consider together. Every blessing, I'm Chaplain Otis Corbett.